Welcome to another episode of Startups and Cups. And oh my God, we love the numbers. It's a podcast brought to you by No Skin House Kigali. And we talk to founders, investors, innovators, and everything to do with Africa's startup scene. Now, today's guest, oof, they talk big numbers, they talk big money, but we've seen them grow over the past. I'll say personally, I've seen them grow over the past seven years. I've had some of my closest mates as work with them, go through their journey. Ladies and gentlemen, today we have the CEO and co-founder of Core, Gillian Euler. Arnold, I am so looking forward to this conversation. Thank you for making the time, Gillian. It's so nice to be here. I'm so happy that you have this podcast where we can also have these conversations. It's so important for entrepreneurs to learn about the good, the bad, and most importantly, the ugly. Very important. That last bit. I had a conversation with you about three weeks ago at the last Founders Friday. First of all, thank you for making the time for that as well. And you talked about expansion into a new market, which was South Sudan. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how that trip went because you're living like a few hours later or a few days later. How was South Sudan? Arnold, South Sudan was such an interesting place. When we arrived, it was about 38 degrees at That's hot. 8 in the morning. Cool. But it wasn't just the heat that was so surprising. It was the incredible hospitality, the opportunity. I mean, you go into that country, we were in Juba, the capital, and there are just entrepreneurs everywhere who are doing amazing things with such passion and dedication to helping develop their country. Like, it, I was inspired the entire week, and I cannot wait to go back. Now, I went to school with a few friends from South Sudan who I'm still in touch with to this day, meeting them as well, often. And, ah, oh, man, it's amazing. You see, Rwanda is right in the middle of nation building. Yeah, yeah. I'll say Rwanda is in, like, we are 40, 60% there mm -hmm. in regards to trying to get the pieces together. South Sudan, on the other hand, they're like at the early stage. Yeah. It, it, it's about a 5%. They're still figuring things out. But the optimism yeah. of the South Sudanese people. It was infectious. It's very infectious. It's very infectious. I have a few friends running hubs there. When, when you think or listen to them and the dreams they have, mm -hmm. one, for themselves, two, for their nation. Yeah. They build for the country. You want to be part of that journey. Well, and you see also how important entrepreneurs are in nation building, in developing local economies and providing services, right, that are currently imported or currently like priced way too high for the average consumer. And it's really entrepreneurs that are transforming these locations. And when you go in there and when you hear people's ideas, when you see their commitment to their businesses, and then you see just like the passion that they have for their country, like you want in on that. But I want us to go back to the beginning. What is Ngomoko? So in Homoko, we are a business development service provider, and we also offer in-house investment capital. So we work with micro, small and medium enterprises, offering business skills trainings, cash flow management, operations. And we also offer below market rate financing to sort of help bridge that gap between startup funding and also, you know, sort of more market market rate. What is below capital rate? For us, we charge about 10%. Still steep? It is, but, you know, for many businesses, the reality is that capital is expensive. And, you know, if we're going to do this work in this market, you know, we have to help businesses sort of phase into sort of more commercial grade grade financing. And so really that's where we sort of play that that spot where it's not it's not free because we also as a business owners need to build those skills, right? We need to understand our products well enough to know what the realistic cost of capital is. So that's where Inhomoco sees our opportunity. You know, there are also times when 
COVID happens or there's, you know, a, a macro change in the environment where we can adjust our rates because we want to be fair, but we also want to be advancing. I wanted to go back to the beginnings in regards to you coming up with the idea, you walking up into this boardroom and be and pitching that idea and then the rejection that came <laughs> with that idea, but you sticking by it and saying, okay, let's go Kigali, let's go and set up this. I'm going to leave comfort and go ahead and do this. What was that process like? So I used to work in Silicon Valley and I worked there at a time when there were just so many new apps websites, services that were coming out of that community. And it was also a place that really fostered entrepreneurship. There was a mentorship. There were business development opportunities. But I always had a deep passion for the continent. And I was troubled by all of the resources going into Silicon Valley when there were so many other really incredible markets that were missing out on that same ecosystem and that same investment. So when we started in Homoko, we really sort of had the idea of saying, let's take some of the recipes for success that we've seen in other parts of the world. Let's come in and let's listen how we can adapt to these local markets. But at the end of it all, it was finding the problem solvers, finding people who really knew what their communities needed, and then creating opportunities for them to get the resources to help them be the best at what they could be. And as you mentioned early on, you know, we had this idea. We knew we were going to come and do this work in Rwanda. We were trying to raise money. And I remember talking with this early investor and, you know, talking about sort of the potential, our idea, two minutes into the conversation, she says, Julian, I have to stop you. I only invest in exceptional entrepreneurs. Hmm. And you're not a good fit. You're not exceptional. You're not exceptional. Let me hold you there, right? Because I keep running into so many young entrepreneurs. When I say young, it sounds like I'm many older, but I've met a lot of amazing young people on a daily. Honestly, everyone thinks their application or whatever they're working on is the next big thing. Yeah. There's that fallacy that I'm the next Uber. Yeah. Or this is the Uber of ABCD. On the other hand, the person, the investor you talked to told you you're not exceptional. Yeah. How did you feel and where were you? in regarding to your mental capacity? Did you go to them and think, well, thinking this is the next big thing? You know, I think entrepreneurship, right? There's sort of this myth of the entrepreneur. There's the legend of the entrepreneur. And it's what inspires us in many ways. It's the Ubers, it's the Apples, but it's also, you know, these businesses that we see and we put a lot of the founders on a pedestal for coming up with this innovation and then, you know, making a ton of money. And in many ways, right, we need to learn from those stories as inspiration, but also we can't attach our own self-worth to that myth or legend. And so feeling really early on, and even before I met that investor, I didn't think I was onto the next big thing. What I thought we were onto was a real solution for a market need. And that, I think, is what enabled us to get through some of those early years, was that we were committed to solving the problem. We weren't necessarily committed to the solution that we had that week or that month. And so the fact that we focused on the problem we were trying to solve, that allowed us to be nimble, adaptable. What was the problem then? 
Well, that businesses, especially in Kigali and, and in other parts of Rwanda, right, they had good ideas, but there weren't affordable professional services. They were, you know, part of being an entrepreneur, right, is that you have to do the work of your business, right? You have to provide the service. You have to work on your product. And you also have to work on improving your business, the systems, the compliance, making sure you have the right staff. And so the problem that we saw was that there were so many good ideas and there were too few service providers to meet market demand. We also saw that the problem was that there was a gap in capital. And especially in sort of this in-between grants or, you know, early stage financing to sort of growth capital. And that's where we felt like we could come in. And it was hard, certainly, because also markets change, right? We are living in a dynamic world. But going back to that one investor, you know, who said, you're not exceptional, my thought was, she doesn't know the need here. She doesn't know that this is a place where we think our services can thrive. And she's not doing the work with us every day, right? It's these early colleagues who took a chance on Enhomoko. We were this no-name brand. You know, we would get this feedback that's like, oh, I went to my cousin's wedding and I told my auntie where I was working and nobody had ever heard of Enhomoko. And it's those early, early adopters, which are, who are, you know, my, my colleagues who sort of stuck with it. They were the ones who showed up every single day. What was your first check from, let's say, a friend, parent, relative, could be anyone? What was the first check you ever got as investment and how much was it and what was it for? Gosh, those first few months, I was talking to every person I could. And the first check I think I got was for $100. Do you remember the person that gave you that $100? I don't remember the, the first $100, but it was like... I was going to all my friends and saying, you know, let's have a happy hour. And at the end of the happy hour, like, I'm going to ask you for to make a donation. And so maybe there were 20 people who gave $25 to $250. And, you know, maybe that night we raised $1,000 in total. And that was like what we used to then get an office, right? And then it was, okay, well, I'm going to go to do another happy hour and just say, hey, guys, you know, can you help me out? And so I think, you know, in the first four or five months, we raised maybe $4,000. And that actually was enough to just make it through those first few months, hiring our first staff, getting our first office. But it also was that little extra accountability where I don't want to, I don't want to make my friends think they just gave me free money. Yep. Right. I wanted to do. I wanted to prove that they, you know, that they were actually really helping, helping me out. And then the first big check we got was maybe six months later, and it was for a hundred thousand dollars. I mean, I danced around my living room by myself, and that was the. And now we get to work. Was that like a moment of validation of we're onto something? It was certainly validating. It also made me feel the responsibility of being a good steward of that. I didn't want to, you know, blow that money away on things that weren't like actually making an impact. And so super early on, it was the discipline of what is the return on impact for every dollar spent? And that's what got us through then the next two years. We're talking about the highs here, but there are lows, right? And along the journey, let's say you, you got rejections from some friends. You got rejections from people who you thought, you know what, if I take this idea to Arnold, he will 
definitely give me a hundred dollars. And they didn't even show up for the happy hour. How did you take that rejection? You know, I tell people, don't start a business unless you're at a point in your own, with your own mental health, with the own place, you know, where you are in your life, where you feel really confident that you're on one of the highs, you know, and I had come from, from leaving a job that I felt had given me a lot of good skills. I had taken a break and I had actually traveled through West Africa and Ethiopia. And so I was really learning. I was at this place where I felt really adaptable because you're absolutely right. It's just little rejection after little rejection after little rejection. And then, right, that starts mounting. Yeah, right? It piles up. It does. And it compounds. And so you have to find ways of making these little wins, right, in those first couple of months. You know, Arnold doesn't show up to my happy hour, but I have three people who I've never met before who showed up. And that then is the focus on those small wins to get you through those early days. Or if you're really clever, how do you set yourself up for those wins? Right? Mm-hmm. What are the things that you can pre-plan? What are those things? I mean, some of those things are, for us, it would actually be taking the five of us who worked together in that first year, we went out for a drink. And it was just celebrating each other thanking each other for showing up and then see you on monday it could be a simple thing as setting up a website exactly having a social media plan exactly or it's the that one meeting that you've been hustling for you know you get that meeting and then you celebrate that success and in homoco today we're 10 years in and one of our core values is celebrate success because it's those moments that's going to get you through some of those lows yeah and how important that is You've shared some of those rejections and how you handled it. But one point I want to go back to, which is regarding habits, right? We all have habits. Personally, it's my worst days are the days I don't work out. Mm -hmm. If I don't work out in the morning, 5 a.m., I kid you not, that day I'm just automating everything. Mm -hmm. Literally, in a way, it's I'm doing the bare minimum. I'll reply to emails. I will have meetings. Yeah. But I'm not doing anything outside mm-hmm. what could be my normal stuff. So basically, it's mediocre. Yeah. But so what kind of habits have you created with one, yourself, two, that you have passed on? Because to have an enterprise grow for 10 years, then that means there are some things that have been done right. There's a culture. Yeah. What are those habits that you passed on in, in regards to your personal culture yeah. that have become part of Inkomoko's culture? that you think are sustainable and are going to build a legacy even past Julian. Yeah. No, I mean, those habits are so important. And when I was reflecting on what are some of my regrets in the first early years, there are those times where I can imagine missing that deadline. You know, an investor wanted that pitch deck and I I never responded. Yeah, happens to the best of us. Happens to the best of us, right? And I see, I think that those are those like, operational mistakes. But the places where I really regret, you know, when I think about that, are the times where I didn't forgive myself fast enough. Oh. It was, I then held on to that. I should have done this. I should have called that person back. I should have gone there. And at the end of the day, right? You sink farther. You sink farther. And the person, you have to look at yourself in the mirror and you have to be most accountable to that person and those values. And so when I started to acknowledge that of being very grateful, just the practice of gratitude to the people who are showing up, the people who are opening the doors for us, that then actually was something that filled me up. And then I learned about myself 
sure, I have a little bit of that edge, right? That competitive edge of like, I want to prove the doubters wrong. But where I really thrive is when I want to do more for the people to whom I'm grateful. And then you talk about habits. For us, really early on, you know, we were given some good advice that that Mike Tyson quote, right? Everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. Yep. And it's your values and it's your culture that's going to get you through to the next morning. It's going to be your grit. It's going to be the togetherness. And so I would say by year three at Enhomoko, we had a strong set of values. And then we turned those into habits. What are some of those values, if you could share? Right. So one of the values is its purpose, that we're connected to things that are bigger than ourselves. And so it's a reminder that we're working with entrepreneurs whose livelihoods, you know, are impacted by our advice. We are connected to an ecosystem of government partners, of larger private sector partners, of smaller private sector partners who are building this ecosystem, right? We're not doing this alone. And as a result, it's around being transparent and accountable. Like, how can we help in, in small ways, right, uplift the entire ecosystem? And so we have those painted on the walls of our offices. When we did all staff meetings in 2014, when we first met, and yeah. our last all staff meeting, we start out with a cultural shout out. Who's the person on the team who within the last period, quarter, month, week, whatever, has really embodied one of our values? And so we've turned these into rituals. We've turned these into traditions. And, you know, that came to fruition when, when COVID hit and that first lockdown happened three years ago. Our light, we didn't have the path. We, we didn't, like, the clarity was gone. And I remember sitting down in that, you know, that first week and saying, like, what are we going to do? How are we going to go forward? And the first thing I did was, I'm going to look at this values list that we're purpose-driven. We're committed to something bigger than ourselves. We are committed to continuous learning and growth. We are pushing ourselves to reach beyond what we think is possible, that we are doing this with bravery because the brave rise together. And at the end of it all, it's togetherness, the spirit of Turukumwe, Tukapomoja, that we are in this together. And it was those five values that helped clear a path for us during April 2020, May 2020, December 2020, June 2021, um, yeah. like, and it just, you know, and at the end of the day, and I look back and I'm like, wow, and Homoko has grown 3x since March 2020. And back then, I couldn't see the steps that led to this growth. And it was our culture and our values that, that drove that. You're listening to Setups and Fuck Ups, a podcast brought to you by No Skin House Kigali. And we talk to people within the ecosystem across Africa on what has enabled them build kind of companies, organizations that they have built over the time. We talk to founders, we talk to innovators, we talk to investors. And today we are speaking to Gillian Euler. She is the co-founder of Ingomoko, which has been in existence for 10 years. Gillian, who is Julian? <laughs> you know, Arnold, that there are so many Julians out there in the world. But when I really think about it, one of sort of my core values is is being a problem solver. It was funny. I was talking with a friend, one of our one of our very very early friends, and I admitted to her recently that I've never thought of myself as an entrepreneur. And she was like, "Newsflash, you co-founded an organization that's yep. you know by definition." And I said, 
that's not how I see, I, that's not my identity. My identity isn't that of an entrepreneur, but it's one of somebody who's really excited about solving problems. And right now I'm doing that through this work and through business development. And now, even today, I don't see myself as an entrepreneur 10 years later. Are you in denial? No, I'm not in denial, but I, I mean, we're not doing this as Julian's thing, yep. right? This is an institution that's way beyond my contribution. And so that's where I'm like, and Homoko, like, we're an organization. We are an, we are an entity. The guy who's running our office on the Western border of Ethiopia and Sudan, he is as much of an entrepreneur as I am, right? He's the one who's pr solving problems in that community. He has the skills to do it. And now it's just my job to make sure he has the resources to succeed and then like get out of the way so he can do that. You raised some money last year. I love talking about money. I love talking about these parts. You raised about $80 million or, you know, slightly more than that. So we're raising another 60. Another 60? Yeah. Oh, so 80 onto the 60. Which we is, need 60 onto the 80. 60 onto the 80. Yeah, so we did about 140. Yeah. Oh, okay. And what are you raising this money for? So at the beginning of COVID in 2020, we had just done this exercise where we had a new three-year strategic plan. And one of our investors came up to us in you know, April, May 2020, and he said, the only thing relevant about this strategic plan is the cover page because the world has just changed. And for us, you know, he was right, but not in the way that I think he thought mm -hmm. because we exceeded our three-year targets within those first 18 months. Shoot for the moon. Shoot for the moon. Yeah. Wind up with the stars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so for us, you know, we started to think about, well, how are we now accelerating accelerating this impact. And we then did another exercise last year where we came up with our, our vision 2030. And so by the end of the decade, we want to work with over half a million micro and small businesses across eight countries on the continent. We want to disperse you know, over 200,000 direct investments to businesses that might otherwise not have access to, to capital. And we want to, you know, through those efforts, impact the lives of 8 million people. And so now, right, we don't have a step-by-step -step plan, but we have a framework that we now need to get the resources to, to start to make that happen. And so, you know, over the next 10 years, not 10 years, my goodness, by 2030, we need to raise about $300 million. And, you know, we're doing sort of this chunk, chunk by chunk. And part of that is finding partners that are different than the partners we've had before right so who are these sort of larger investors and we're you know we're trying to set up set up an idea of how to how to how to approach those but it's also going back to the people who've been with us from the beginning to say like look at what your investments have done double down triple down because we've got we've got new ambitions Julian, last time I saw you, well, because we did round up, you were a DJ, DJ at an event. I'm going to hold you to that. Uh -huh. What do you do in your fun time apart from DJ? In my fun time, I love to hang out with friends, see family. I'm a, I feel very lucky that I have an, an incredible global network of people who, who I really love and who give me a lot of energy. Unfortunately, they don't all live in the same place. So oftentimes in my free time, I like to travel and see people. I have gotten into tennis 
and I am learning how to hit that green ball back and forth over the net. But Arnold, I mean, I have to confess, like, mm-hmm. I am not a DJ. I you DJ at I, an event. I was, and it's been like what two events now? Well, you know, at Enhomoko, one of the things that we do every quarter is we have a goat party. Okay. And this party is for us to come together again, like I said, celebrate success together, but also in places like hold us up during hard times. And it's at these events where we have brochettes, we have potatoes, and there's always music and dancing. And so my colleague, who is a real DJ, always likes to encourage me to to learn that craft. But man, the CEO of Zoom mm-hmm. DJs, he's a paid DJ and he DJed at Coachella. Yeah. That's, that's goals. Goals, yeah? Yeah. No, I love to dance. I love to have fun. And so just being behind the music is is also something that, that gets me up in the morning. So we take a tennis now, travel, behind the music, picking up about two or three sk- skill sets and raising tons of millions of dollars. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Julian Euler. She's the CEO and co-founder of Inhomoko. If you want to check out Inhomoko, where do we find them? Inhomoko.com. Social media? At Inhomoko. You can always find us at Norskin East Africa or www.norskin.org. The Africa Week is around the corner. That's happening in November. We're bringing together the creme de la creme in the startup world from Africa and the leading global investors as well to Kigali. Please be part of that. Find that across all our social media platforms. As always, thank you for listening to Startups and Fuck Ups. Until next time, have a good day.